Namo etasa bhagavatu arahatu asama sambuddhasa Namo etasa bhagavatu arahatu asama sambuddhasa Namo etasa bhagavatu arahatu asama sambuddhasa Buddhang damang sanghang namasami feels very lovely to be back here and many people here are from the retreat that we just finished on the second so it feels a little bit like a, a reunion it's very sweet and it's auspicious the full moon and Denver won <laughs> we were coming up the building and I heard a woman shouting no 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 and I thought somebody's hurting her somebody's hurting her <laughs> Perception. And so here we are. This afternoon, somebody who offered me the meal was asking a question What's the difference between the third of the Satipatthana and the fourth of the Satipatthana? So let me backtrack a little bit and see if I can lead into that and then answer my own question. Satipatthana is the foundations of mindfulness. And If you don't know about it, it's good to know about. The foundations of mindfulness are the instructions on how to pay attention to the body and to the whole of our mind-body process in order that we can not be confused. And the first foundation of mindfulness is awareness of body. And what I really appreciated about this retreat that we just finished was that really was a a feature of the retreat. Not only in the way that we were teaching, but also in the way that everybody was practicing. And I was delighted to hear somebody just come up and say that she feels relaxed in her body as a result. And to me, this is really good news, you know. So our body is our basis for practicing, and we need to be connected to it in order to actually know what we're feeling in it. It's hard to know what's happening in our body when we are beside ourselves. You know, so the first foundation of mindfulness is all about bringing awareness into our body, and we can do that through our posture, through movement. We can do that through breath. And it's really important to have a groundedness in our physical body. So I'd be curious to know how you all felt about the standing meditation, but I found that really helpful. You know, it really helps transition, particularly after just a touchdown, you know. (laughs) Walking up the stairs when there's a touchdown and there's a kind of, you know, excitement has a way of compelling us to be outside of ourselves. The second foundation of mindfulness is about feeling. And this is not emotions the way we normally know it. This is the feeling of positive, uh, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. You know, and so a whole huge amount of simplicity in our world can come about if instead of getting locked into the feeling that we're having, we just notice, is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? 
And usually if we're zoning out or spacing out or having a hard time showing up, it's because it's neutral. And so something as simple as that can take a large amounts of story and turn it into something that's really not that complicated. It's pleasant. It's unpleasant. Or we can look at our our tendency to disappear or space out. It's just neutral. It's hard showing up for something that's neutral. And yet, because so much of life is neutral, when we show up for what's neutral, our life takes on a kind of three-dimensional technicolor glow. Because all of a sudden, we are present for everything, rather than just the intense highs and the intense lows, and locate ourselves in the intensity. To show up for neutral means that there has got to be a kind of relationship around excitement, because neutral is not exciting. And most of us really love to be excited. And we think if we're not excited, something terrible has happened. You know, but the clothes touching our skin is not exciting. You know, or the the wind or the air moving across our eyes, it's not exciting. And yet when we feel it, there's an aliveness that can happen that's just not present when we're not present for that. The simple things in life. The third foundation of mindfulness is being aware of mind objects. And the instructions are very clear. You know, if you know your mind is exalted, or you know your mind is not exalted, if you know your mind is filled with anger, or is filled with non-anger, or you know your mind is filled (coughs) with fear, or filled with non-fear. And what's so incredible about these instructions is it doesn't say that exalted is better than anger. It just says that you know it. And what's also incredible about it is it doesn't say that if you feel angry, you're supposed to do something about it. You just need to know anger is anger, or fear is fear, or exalted or is exalted, and unexalted as unexalted. At that level, with the instructions, there isn't a program to engage in other than knowing what is. And so on that level, everything is welcome. And we don't need to separate ourselves into what we want to happen against what we don't want to happen, what we want to feel against what we don't want to feel. And I don't know if it's apparent the enormous freedom that that gives, that everything is welcome and that we don't have to do anything to make it go away or to make it bigger or stronger or better or stay we just need to wake up to know it as it is imagine a whole hour where everything was welcome or a day or a week So the brilliance of the Buddha's instructions is that it gives us the ground and the tools to be able to see clearly 
and to work with what is arising. And certainly all of us have all kinds of things that arise. And to learn to be present with them. Now the fourth foundation of mindfulness was what the question was about. What's the difference between the third and the fourth foundation of mindfulness? And the fourth foundation of mindfulness is to look at what is arising in terms of categories related to Dhamma. And you think, well, what on earth is that? So it's looking at things in terms of whether they are part of the Four Noble Truths, how we are relating to them as the Four Noble Truths, whether they're suffering. What's the cause of suffering? So for most of us, when we look at where they're suffering and where's the cause, immediately our minds go to externalizing it, trying to find an external cause for suffering. And when we're looking in terms of the Four Noble Truths, the cause is the wanting or the not wanting things to be the way they are. So is there suffering right now? Where's the cause? Right precisely where one can locate the cause, the wanting and the not wanting, is precisely where one experiences the release. It's right there. It's not someplace else. And it doesn't have to be that it changes. So, for example, if you've got a really bad pain in your leg, one can be attentive to the not wanting it to be there. The not wanting can dissolve, even though the pain can stay. And so the suffering can end, even if the trigger for it doesn't change. This is another tremendous key to to, to liberation. Our happiness is not dependent on getting what we want or getting whatever we don't want. And the fourth noble truth is the path, the conditions, the support that helps make it possible to contemplate and to realize this. So the four noble truths is one of the categories to contemplate The hindrances is another category to contemplate. The aggregates is a third category to contemplate. And what are the aggregates? You know, most of our think of ourselves as I'm a person. That's what I am. I'm a person. And some of us are gender identified. Male person or female person. Some people don't identify with being either male or female. I've got long hair, I've got short hair, I'm from this ethnicity, I live in this place, I've got this home, this is my family. These are the attributes that I consider of being a person. And yet when we look at it in terms of the aggregates, we're looking at it in a, in a, in a way where we're breaking down the constructs into simpler building blocks and seeing what's there. And already we've seen a number of them form is one of the aggregates. So the Satipatthana meditation instructions is built on form, bringing attention to our body, our sensations of our body, our experience of our body. What is it like to have a body that gets sick? What is it like to have a body that gets old? 
that has hairs that grow in the wrong place. (laughs) What is it like to go to the toilet when one doesn't feel like one's ready to? You know? Or what is it like to have to eat? What is it like to need rest and not get enough rest? Or what is it like to get enough rest? You know, how wonderful it is to get enough rest. You know, this is all part of having a body. And can we begin to learn how to relate to our body with a kind of care and interest, curiosity? You know, what's happening now? So we went past the television screen downstairs as we were walking up the steps and they were replaying the touchdown, you know. And so this guy who's, who's obviously in peak athletic shape gets this ball after whatever and runs the whole distance of the football field, you know. It's like phenomenal athletic prowess. How many of us feel like that? <laughs> How many of us have ever felt like that? <laughs> you know, so things change, you know. So the first aggregate is form and the second aggregate is feeling. And the feeling is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. So how does it feel to watch somebody with a touchdown? Is it exciting? Is it depressing because we can't do that? Is it exhilarating? Is it wonderful to be on the winning team? You know, these are feelings, and the feeling, each feeling has a quality of pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. And when we are able to bring our focus and attention to this, then the complexity of our life then begins to simplify. And we have more capacity to not get so entangled in the story. It's just pleasant feeling or unpleasant feeling. That's all. First is form, the second is feeling, and the third is perception. Sierra and I were walking down the street. She heard go. I heard no. She was excited. I was scared. (laughs) How we perceive things determines how we experience the world. I heard thought something was happening to this person, you know? You know, she knew it was a football game and this was somehow this, that it was still happening, you know, so she was really tuned in for the situation. It doesn't matter what the reality is. What matters is what we're perceiving. And so how we experience something really has an enormous impact on what happens to us. And the interesting thing is that perception is not at all fixed. What is this? What else is it? What else is it? What else is it? I could I could turn it and make it a stand for a Buddha. I can put flowers in it and float them. It can be a vase. If I took it and whacked somebody over it, it would become a weapon. So it doesn't have any fixed reality 
The reality is how we associate it with or what our relationship with it is. Now, if anybody had taken a bell like this and had done some serious damage to somebody, it's quite possible you could come and see this bell and go into an entire trauma response. It has nothing to do with the bell. It has to do with our memory, our perception, and our feelings as they got uh, localized in our body as a result of what happened. Okay? And so, again, this signal or the key here is that because it's not fixed, we have the ability to massage our perceptions in a way that allows our hearts to open and our stress to release. So when any of us have experienced things that have been traumatic, when we have the tools to learn how to bring open those perceptions and work with them, they don't need to be fixed in our system in that particular way. This does not need to exist in infinity as a weapon. It can be the exquisite bell that it was designed for. So we grab hold of perceptions and solidify ourselves around them in order to get some sense of confidence that we know how to be safe in the future. But it also creates a very small little space that we live in. And sometimes that little space ends up being very suffocating. And so when we understand this is a perception, that it might be different, then it gives us the capacity to ask, what else could have happened? Now, how many people have been in a conversation with two or three people and everybody heard something different was decided? How many people have been in a conversation with somebody that you care very deeply about and you heard something that was incredibly hurtful and you went back to check it out and it was not at all what they intended. But the hurting is so strong and so real and so believable, we think it must have been what they said because why would it hurt so much? And so with perception, it's really good to have a question mark. You know, this is what my experience is. Can I check and see if everyone else has the same experience? The fourth one is mental formations or karmic formations. And this is the kind of ways in which the story expands and gets consolidated. You know? So if we look at this and we see shape and color, you know, that's probably perception. But if this is a music bell or a weapon or a vase, then already that's comic formation. This is the habitual associations which how we've been using it. Yeah? It's one step up in terms of complexity. And when we can begin to see the way that our mind is constantly moving in these particular patterns, we can also see the what we need to do and where we need to bring our attention in order to soften that up and ease that out. Yeah. Now, many people have loops go on in their heads about who they are. I'm no good. Or I'm 
useless, or I'm hopeless, or I'm depressed, or I'm angry, or I'm fat. I mean, what's your top ten? <laughs> so I am is associated with this bundle, and this bundle, for many of us, is not very endearing, or kind, or gentle, or loving. And what we need to remember is these are habits. They're not the truth. And with water, when it digs a rut, it's possible to redirect it. But anybody who understands water and ruts needs that you need to dig another rut in another direction slightly deeper. You know? So watching the snow and watching the way things ice up and then melt and then flow... If you want the flow to go another way, you need to let the water go through another channel. So if we've got ruts that are not kind and not helpful and not skillful and not respectful, then we need to put extra attention into what's kind and caring and respectful and not to believe or endorse or give any extra energy to this stuff which doesn't serve us any longer. And certainly being in a community that is as dedicated and committed as this is a tremendous support for just that. You know, people showing up and listening to Dhamma, having discussions, doing sittings together, having retreats together, and beginning to mirror for each other. You know, when people get off on their loops, just say, you can't talk to me about yourself like that. You know, that's not okay. So one of the characteristics of a mature meditation group is the ability to mirror for each other your own goodness. Because we forget in ourselves that about ourselves. Not as some kind of positive aphorism, but as really touching something that's beautiful and genuine and present. And look at what happens when people are touched that way. And it doesn't even have to be with language. It can just be with somebody's presence, you know, remembering that, seeing that in somebody else. So there's form, and there's feeling, and there's perception, and then there's karmic formations, and then there's consciousness. And consciousness is sense consciousness. This is the contact that comes with sense contact is consciousness. But I was talking about all-pervasive consciousness earlier. You know, the fact that consciousness is not limited to our skin and touching into that. And that all-pervasive consciousness is not something that seems to rise and cease depending on sense contact. It seems to be there. So there's... Same word of consciousness in different application. And the five aggregates is is associated with the consciousness that arises and ceases depending on sense contact. You know, the sight of the candle. I need the eye. It needs to be working. There needs to be candle. And there needs to be consciousness that brings these things together. And there is no place in any of these five aggregates that's permanent, that the person that I feel so strongly I am, I can locate. I can't locate it in my form. You know, where is Amma? You know, is it in my toe? Is it in my nose? 
You know, where if you opened me up, where would you find Amma? You know, it's not in the feelings that I have. It's not in my perceptions. It's not in the habits or the formations that I have. And it's not also in consciousness that comes with contact. Now, when I first learned about the Dhamma, I thought, yeah, right, five aggregates. I got them. Form feeling. You know, I got this sorted. And then I realized just how much our attention is being pulled by them. You know, we have a feeling in our body and we, we grab hold of it and we identify with it. Something's pleasant and we grab hold of it, we identify with it. You know, we have a perception of something and we grab hold of it and we think it's the truth. You know, we don't think, well, maybe maybe it's the truth. Maybe somebody has another truth. We think, this is the truth. I heard it, this is what I heard, and this is the truth. Yeah. So these things get solidified. And then we locate ourselves around what gets solidified. And it causes all kinds of trouble. (laughs) So when we can see the trouble that it causes, then it gives us the impetus, the interest, the courage, the willingness to begin to start maybe for one second to not believe it so wholeheartedly as being absolutely true. Just for a second. And then we can believe it as being absolutely true. <laughs> and then what happens to our own being or bearing, you know? When we have a little bit more space around the stuff that happens, you know? When there's a little bit more capacity just to know things for their arising and their ceasing. Yeah. So contemplating in this way gives an opportunity to investigate what's happening. And you think, well, you know, that's great if you're on the retreats, but how on earth would you do that in daily life? You know, how do you contemplate perception in, you know, in a meeting, you know, or when you're having a a kind of animated discussion with somebody who has a different opinion about you or than you, you know? Well, I think what's needed is to remember is is that one just needs to be aware that one has a perception and that one has a strong feeling about it. There's a lot of conviction and there might be a lot of energy in that conviction. But when you observe that these things are happening, that can give a little bit more space, that it doesn't have to be so intensely personal or true or me that is experiencing this. And just look and see if that gives any more window of freedom in your life. So we all have habits. We all have perceptions. We can't get rid of the mind. So people sometimes think that the first object of meditation is to get rid of the mind. (laughs) Because somehow thinking is not what we want to be doing. Well, certainly when the mind comes into collectedness and stillness and the thoughts dissipate it's tremendously it's like you know going to club med you know it's like absolute internal massage it's just absolutely delightful but thinking is one of the functions of having a mind and body is that it that's what it does but learning how to relate to this mind body so that there's more ease there's less confusion there's more joy There's more 
clarity and kindness and calm. I don't know about you, but it seems like a good thing to me, you know. So the Buddha offered these teachings as ways of giving us keys. And these keys are like keys to phenomenal treasure troves. Because when we really understand the freedom that comes from being allowed to feel whatever we're feeling, it's tremendous. Now, it doesn't mean that we are given carte blanche to be idiots and do stupid things. But that's very different. Action is very different from allowing a mind state to arise and feeling okay about it being there. Because sometimes mind states are not pleasant, but we don't have control over them being there. You know? How often would we like to have a magic wand and go, voop, voop, you know, and just make it disappear? But how often that's not the case. So this system of teachings give us the tools to be with things as they are, to give handles on how to work with things, and to come back to our body as a ground to be able to understand where is our happiness, where's our joy, where's our stillness, where's our ground. Anyway. So the person today gave me some food for thought about what might be useful as sharing this evening. And now I'd like to change the format and have it be a discussion or time for questions and answers and see if there's anything either relevant to this particular talk you'd like to ask about or any of the other things that were mentioned tonight. But most, I mean, it's open. But mostly I'm happy if it, if it, if it orients around practice. Okay. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.